When you almost die, at age 22, everything changes. It got me thinking about what I wanted to do before I actually die. Because life is unpredictable. Can you relate? I'm Kiki Kelly, and this is my story. My friend Amy Hallberg thought I should share some of my stories with you. Some are hard, some are funny, and some are just unbelievable. But they're all true. So here we are. Season 4, Episode 4. Tales from an Inadvertent Bucket List Champ. So last time we were talking, you were on a tour through Iran. Yes, um, we went to Isfahan. It was me and my translator friend, Bachman. It was at the Ministry of Sports um, behest, and they paid for it. So I was going to see the UNESCO World Heritage Site of, of Isfahan because I had mentioned it in my very first interview with the Iranian Student News Network. Do you think that they were just a little bit surprised that an American would actually know about Esfahan? Um, you know what? Honestly, probably because not too many Americans go there, and the Iranians see our television, of course, and they see Jersey Shore and the Kardashians and stuff. <laughs> I think me being a modest American woman is in comparison to those TV shows, maybe. Got it. Okay. So that, that title was in a very specific kind of context of what they expected. Yes. And if they had gotten what they expected, not only would I probably not have been allowed into the arena, I probably wouldn't have been asked to stay and go on this little tour, which included an orphanage, a girls' school that was based on the Montessori principles. We met up with the sports ministry guy who was their star basketball player. And he looked like he was so annoyed to have to be with us. And yet we became very, very good friends within the course of a day. He was so tall. It was a chance to just sort of test preconceptions and, and move beyond them. Absolutely. I think they were surprised at how normal I was. And I was surprised at how similar to America, a lot of things were in Iran. For example, when they took me to the parliament building, I mean, there is representation of Jewish and Kurdish peoples and um, women parliamentarians. So I was led around by a woman parliamentarian and then I was in the actual hall listening to parliament and I saw a photographer taking my picture and I was like, okay. <laughs> so there's this picture of me that's just obviously like, I noticed that the person is taking the picture and the other two are, are talking. But we went on a tour of the old parliament building that was built in 1906. And it looked just like if you were in 1776 Philadelphia. I mean, that's what it looked like. It was small. They had the scroll desks. Mm -hmm. It was very Philadelphia-esque. So this strange sort of doppelganger feeling going on. Yeah, exactly. Well... I guess Iran wasn't called Iran officially by the rest of the world until 1979 anyway. So it was called Persia by the rest of the world. I guess by Iranians, it was called Iran because Persia refers to the ethnicity of being a Persian. There's also Kurds, 
different ethnicities, Jews, Americans. <laughs> so if you live in Iran, you're an Iranian, um, but you can be Persian. So I was just so surprised at that and that they had a, um, a tomb of the unknown soldier outside of the old parliament building. I don't know if it was because I was, you know, tired because it was just all so much. There was so much to take in and the whole experience was overwhelming. But when I saw that tomb of the unknown soldier, it was so much like home. I mean, I really never thought of another place having a tomb of the unknown soldier, except, you know, of course, now that I think about it, of course, but but I was so struck by it that drops started, you know, going down my eye. And the historian that was giving us the tour was touched. This is something too. Uh, Iran loves genuine emotion. They love emotion. They like it. I am so glad because <laughs> otherwise I would be very unpopular there. But um, he went and grabbed a red rose from the garden and gave it to me. And I was so touched. And there was something happening. There was something organic happening, made everything seem familiar. And the people seemed very non-threatening. In fact, friendly and welcoming. Which growing up in America, we did not have those connections to anybody in Iran for that reference. Exactly. And and just to find yourself in the country of Iran as an American, but looking at their old parliament building and going to the museum where the precious items were stored in kind of a grotto underneath the old parliament building. And I think it's because of the decade long uh, war with Iraq. So it was to protect things that were precious. And I don't think many people get to see that. It seemed rather private. They're antiquities. Right. Because you told me that Iran goes back. How far back does Iran go? 7,000 BC. 7,000 BC. Yeah, Persia. Ancient Persia, 7,000 BC. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're not even up to 300 years over here in the United States. but I know. And that is because of this tour that I had and because of the thought process that got me started on when I did go back later, I would... You know, and I was asked difficult questions about sanctions and things. I would say things like, your culture is, is extremely old. It's ancient. You know, we are a very young nation. And, and that seemed to, to help. <laughs> like, well, it, it sort of blew my mind. I mean, yeah, we're not even 300 years old. So coming back from Iran. Oh, God. <laughs> Once I left the Tehran airport, I changed back into my team leader gear. So it's it's a, it's a warm up, and you know I'm head to toe dressed in USA colors, and red, white, blue. And my little suitcase, rolly suitcase, has like Christina Kelly, team leader, Christina Kiki Kelly, team leader. You know, and it's got a USA Wrestling logo. And so you'd think that would be the smoothest walk through security, but no, I got waylaid for like five hours and I was the only Caucasian woman sitting in a room with clearly more Middle Eastern people and they were looking at me like what are you doing here <laughs> I'm like I don't know I'm wearing like USA warm-ups and uh yeah they broke everything too there are these lovely little discs of honey you put in your mouth as you're drinking your tea delicate wonderful little treats but they were all broken they rummaged and, you know, ran through all of the stuff. They t opened every package and most things were destroyed. So, yeah, that was a bummer. It was strange to think because I was excited to go back home and see my daughter and 
see my family and friends. And I couldn't wait to tell people about my experience. But that first jarring experience of being treated like, I don't know, some kind of terrorist because I had been in Iran at all. So rude awakening. It was unpleasant and, and sad. So already I couldn't wait to get back. I was thinking, oh, I, I want to go back. I just loved the people there. Oh, when I went to the little girl's school, my friend Nilofar um, had a daughter in the school and she wanted to take me there. And the, the lunch ladies made this huge spread everywhere I went. I was fetid with just too much food, but I love Iranian food. So good. So these lunch ladies are trying to get me to eat. And all the little girls in the school have prepared little English songs. So as I go from classroom to classroom, they sing me a song and I asked if I could videotape one. And it was so cute. Just everything from um, head, shoulders, knees and toes. I mean, there were traditional American songs. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So and at the orphanage, they showed me these incredible artisan walls of beautiful tile and everything was handmade and the orphans would be trained in these arts because the belief was if you are without parents you are already lacking in the beauty of love and so you should be given extra beauty and extra love whenever you can get it what a concept that thing alone what you just said i just am getting goosebumps i think about that all the time how we can be very harsh on people who are missing out and, and what a beautiful thing if you can give bounty to people who haven't got enough. It was the most beautiful building you can't even imagine. It looked like a palace. It was, I, I was, I was blown away by my visits. So the last night, remember how I told you that the flight in was at like 1.20 in the morning? Well, the flight out was at like 3.20 in the morning. And so my friend Nilofar and her family threw a huge, huge dinner for me at midnight on my last night. And it was, I know, it was amazing. You know, I talked to their son, talked to the grandfather because we were in the home, no, no scarves or hijabs or anything. In fact, the grandfather right away who had owned an airline in the past was just like, oh, you don't need that. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And we were talking about the grandson possibly coming to school in America, just little things like that. Okay, and that's another thing. So when we think about Middle Eastern countries or, or Arab countries or Muslim societies, we think about the hijab as if that's a thing. And and, and I've, I've talked to people from different cultures who point to this all the time. We are all different. We are not all one thing. So there might be something that's prevalent, but that doesn't mean that everybody approaches it the same way. The fact that you actually got to go into people's houses and experience the nuance of those cultural rules. It's something you don't get as a tourist or as watching it from the outside where we make these sweeping generalizations about people that are based in fact, but also really shallow. And that is part of why my favorite form of travel is to visit people, either friends, I know people I'd like to get to know and see how they live. A later trip to Morocco was like that where I went to visit um, a friend that I had met while in Iran. And he was like, come to Morocco. <laughs> I was like, can I bring my family? Yes, okay. All right, I'll come to Morocco and go to four cities there. And once you've done that, you start to realize it is actually possible. I mean, like, you know that I'm a little bit of a reluctant traveler. You know this about me. And yet, like, people will invite me to something and I'm like, okay, Apparently I'm being called and I will go because I know that there's something there for me to learn. There's always something to learn. 
it, it, it just, it never ends. Exactly. So I was learning so much in 2014 that my head almost exploded off my body. And even now, how many years later, seven years, eight years, I still feel like it's just surreal. The first thing that happened when I got back was I heard from the State Department on Facebook. <laughs> because, of course. <laughs> right? Um, apparently, some guys at Brookings Institute have been monitoring Iranian press and all of a sudden, my name kept popping up, and they were like, who is this? <laughs> so. and, I mean, like, so just to reiterate, we haven't had an embassy since 1979. Like, there was no connection, as you pointed out, right? So, like, you actually know more than these guys at the Brookings Institute in certain regards, I'm guessing. Yeah, that was one of the surprises. So I was supposed to come to the State Department. Clearly, you're going to say yes to that. Yes, of course, I'll come to the State Department. You're being asked by your own U.S. government, State Department, to come and visit them about your trip to Iran. Of course, you're going to go. <laughs> like, so I also got called from Voice of America and BBC World for interviews. And so I did it all in one day, flew in. They put me up at a hotel that was right near the State Department, which is really cool. That morning, I went to BBC World. And it's, you can still search Kiki Kelly Wrestling, and it comes up as the only woman to go into the arena, I think is what it says. So my interview is still up there. And then after that, I went to the State Department and I was in this room with, with about 11 people and they all have these lime green notebooks and they open them up and everyone's got their pens and I'm like kind of waiting to be debriefed or something, right? And then I realized, oh, uh, duh, they have never been to Iran. They want to know everything that happened to me. And so I just started to tell them everything that happened and they kept trying to make connections with like a movie Argo hadn't been out yet but not without my daughter was one of them and I was like no that's that's not the experience I had no that's not no nothing like that when you're talking about movies you're talking about movies that don't end well for the Americans correct well that's pretty much the only movies that had been made at that time right although and Argo is the same Argo is not positive either I in fact I can't think of a positive movie about Iranians can you Made by Americans? Probably not. And then the last stop of the day after the State Department was to Voice of America. It was a soccer player who had lived in Germany, but he's Iranian by birth. Great guy, speaks German. The guy from, shoot, from Brookings, who invited me to dinner that night, it's while I was still in Washington, D.C., so it was a very full 24 hours. I was exhausted at the end of it, but he invited me to a Ethiopian restaurant in Foggy Bottom and we ended up biking well it was cool because he had been there in 1998 when there was the first kind of wave of revolution of a different kind of revolution more western leaning the guy from the Brookings Institute it was a different kind of meeting he actually had some points of reference yeah he's American of Iranian descent who had gone to Tajikistan to learn Farsi and then works for Brookings he also wrote an article about me and anyway, all of a sudden I was just doing media. It was very strange, but super fun riding bike all around all the monuments in Washington, DC. And at the end of the evening, he gave me a t-shirt that said, I heart Iran. <laughs> I wear it as pajamas. <laughs> so strange. I mean, you've talked so much about things that have blown your mind. It's been a while since then, right? Like you talk about, you were just unpacking it. 
at a distance of how many years has it been now since yeah. since that first trip? 2014, and it's 2022. So eight years? Yep. So at a distance, right? Because I often find that there's that immediate sort of like, oh my gosh, sort of mind-blowing thing. And then there's this great wisdom that sort of shows up in the meantime. Looking back on it, what about that stays with you the most? Or what about that has changed you the most? Um, it turned me into a person that goes to a new place with fresh eyes. Because any knowledge that I had going into Iran turned out to be wrong, at least for my experience. So I now go to places with a wide open heart and wide open eyes. And I always make sure this was one of the things I make sure I learn the language. I think I'm up to 11 languages now on Duolingo. <laughs> I learn all the basic phrases. Please, thank you. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? How do you say this? Where's the bathroom? <laughs> just all the basics, you know, and, and just being polite. And I, I teach my team really basic things like that too. I mean, most people want to practice their English. It shows a lot of respect to use the home language and to do it earnestly, you know, not jokingly. Showing respect is huge. I, I've learned that. Eating with people, laughing with people, showing respect, trying to learn a little bit about their culture, that's huge. And I think when you say like not doing it jokingly, so I think one thing that sometimes we do is like when we're learning a language, we use humor as a buffer because it's it's very humbling. I mean, to be able to express yourself only at the level of, say, a two-year-old is incredibly humbling. And Americans are not, we don't have a lot of experience with learning foreign, foreign, I'm putting quotes here, because it's very othering, right? But we don't have a lot of experience using languages other than our own native language. And so sometimes it'll come out as aggression or it'll come out as sort of like make a joke, like, ha, 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 ha. What does that look like to you to be respectful in a language that, you know, you still are pretty basic in your fluency well i think how you say it and your attitude if you're if you're doing it earnestly they'll correct it earnestly and then you show that you care you know and then they get excited because oh your accent is good <laughs> so they, they they're willing to walk more than halfway to to meet you i've realized most people throughout the world are very generous and maybe that sounds a little too idealistic, especially now, given that there's a war in the Ukraine. But I wish that my experience could be replicated through so many people. I think that would change the world if there were more interchanges, exchanges, or mixing of cultures. And I, I realize also that at this time, you know, there's an America first movement. Yeah, so this probably isn't going to go over that great with people who are America first. Here's the thing though, I am patriotic. I was excited to serve my country. I also enjoyed my visit to Iran. And I don't think those things are mutually incompatible. And everything that you experienced there does, I think, deepen your connection to your country because it, it, it clears away what really doesn't matter. And it makes it very clear what about your country you care most about? Let's see, one of my social media, what do you even call them now, apps, I, I made my name Kiki Kelly underscore USA. There are Kiki Kellys. <laughs> there are. But, you know, so I'm clearly delineated as American, American woman. 
And, you know, it's not like I'm uh, wanting to move to Iran anytime soon. I'd like to visit again. And I, I have. I've gotten to visit again. And it was even funnier that time because I found out that the people that we were with really loved Seinfeld. I, I was like, well, do you have comedians here? Do you have any comedy cafes? And he's like, no, but we have depression cafes. And I, he said it in such a way that I was just like, these guys are really funny. Like, that's what Iran needs. Comedians, Iran needs more comedians. <laughs> so we're going to continue having this conversation about not just Iran, but other places that you visited during your time as a team leader. And there's so much more to cover, and I'm just really excited to talk about that. Thanks, Amy. I really appreciate it. I'm not sure exactly how it can benefit the world, but there must be some some way. If I can even influence one person to keep an open mind when they're meeting someone from a different culture, I think it will have been time well spent telling these stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tales from a Bucket List Champ. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with friends. Our sound editor is the talented Will Quee. Our story editor and producer is me, Amy Hallberg. And our writer and executive producer is Kiki Kelly. We'll be back next time with Episode 5, Tehran, Tashkent, Toronto. Until then, what's one item on your bucket list?